2: Manchester City vs Arsenal has been postponed tonight because of coronavirus fears, but that seems to be a one-off. We've uh, had difficult times at Manchester City. Well,
1: business as usual in the Premier League.
2: The game of football is never going to be as important as people fly. It's going to be a really, really tough game on uh, on Saturday.
1: next time. Hello and welcome back to the Known and Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me for this very special end of season preview is pretty much the entire panel. The Football League is back. It's the Known and Never podcast. Goodness me, listeners, it's been a while. We have been absent from your podcast provider for quite some time. And I think it's pretty clear as to why. Of course, we have all been having to live through a very strange. 14 weeks, 13 weeks, however long it's been, because as we all know, since the 23rd of March this year, the UK has been on lockdown um, owing to the coronavirus pandemic, known as COVID-19. It's taken hold of the UK. Football was suspended. Pretty much everything was suspended and has been for quite some time. While we've all been learning how to do Zoom calls at home and quizzes with family and learning a new term of social distancing, which I don't think any of us really knew what that was before coronavirus took hold. Um but it, 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 we're back. We are back. We're having a bit of a, an end-of-season preview. Um, but I'm going to start this, this podcast, obviously, by addressing the far more important factor that's one on in the world right now than football. Um, as of recording today, there's been just under 300,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the UK, with just under 42,000 um, deaths from that horrible disease. So we open by wishing you all safety and health. We hope that you, your families and your loved ones are all staying safe and well. And of course, our thoughts and prayers are with anybody who has lost anybody throughout this pandemic. Um, There is light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like we're coming to the end of it, slowly but surely. Um, And as a result, football is back. The Premier League have announced that the remaining 90 games will commence on the 17th of June with the mighty Clarets opening their end-of-season campaign away at Manchester City on Monday, is it? Monday the 22nd of June. Now, football is very, very important. It's important to all of us. It's the national sport and it's back. And we got the panel together to start having a look at what's been going on over the months and take a look forward to... Basically, the last games of the season. Um, so joining me this week is starting off with Tom Whitaker. Tom, what have you missed? Well, what have you missed most about football in this past few months?
2: Hi, Natalie. Uh, apart from the obvious recording the podcast, um, I think for me, the thing I miss most about going up uh, is it's not just the the 90 minutes itself, it's not just the match, it's everything around it. So I live in Derby. Um I've got family in the northwest, which is why I'm a Burnley fan, and that's the only time that really I see a lot of the people that I know in the northwest. I've got friends up there, I've got family, and uh, often the match day, as as well as going to the game, as well as the ninety minutes, it's you know a couple of pints with your mates before the game, it's calling in and seeing family members after, and um, so that kind of routine that you've got every other Saturday of the journey of your whole day being taken up by the football. Suddenly I've got all this time on my hands, and uh, and yeah, it's been been strange uh, I, I've missed it a lot I'm looking forward to going back as and when it's safe to do so
1: yeah definitely um, so also joining us is everyone's favourite favourite Wiganer Richard Steele Richard how have you been and what have you missed most
3: I'm hi, hi Natalie thanks for having me back on um, yeah I'll probably say what Tom said before it's not just the 90 minutes that you miss um, it's everything around the game um, you know as you said uh, I'm not from Burnley from Wigan um, so it's kind of just going the game with my dad really that I've missed more than anything we always kind of get there a little bit earlier we go in the foundation lounge for a couple of pints, watch the, watch the game before um, so yeah I, I I actually think that's probably the thing I've missed the most and also kind of when you work during the week and you're winding down and then you look forward to your game on the Saturday or, or the Sunday or whenever it might be and you've not got that uh, game to look forward to um, so yeah just that and, and I've I've even just missed the ups and downs of it. Obviously, you know, some games you win, some games you lose, but I've just kind of missed that thrill, really. Um, So, really, really looking forward to having it back. It won't be the same not being able to go on the turf, obviously. So, I think the own games will be a little bit more strange than the away games, but um, it's definitely better than not having it on at all.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Richard. And obviously, we'll come on to that when we start looking at what the options were for Project Restart. Um, But making up our panel this week is of course our resident student and eternal optimist George Poole. George what on earth have you been up to and what have you missed about the football? Hi
4: guys good chatting with you all. I think the thing I've missed most about football is it's made me realise how much I missed going to away games uh, for sure because obviously being my first year at uni I've not been able to go to many and sort of having all that uni life you don't realise at the time how much you missed it and then I think coming home obviously being sent home with the lockdown and everything, everything shuts down and it's just made me realise there's been that massive hole in my life for this past year where for the past four or five years I've been going you know every Saturday whether it's home or away and then now it's the, in the past year all of a sudden it's watching games on TV every Saturday and it's just not the same and It's definitely made me realise that I've missed that a lot in the past year. So I think, I mean, goodness knows if we'll be getting back to stadium football anytime soon. But whenever that does happen, I'll be definitely making sure to get to more games now. Now my first year's over with. But yeah, lockdown's just been ticking along and it's sort of got back to normal for me in the past week or so because I've gone back to work at KFC. So back to normality for me, unfortunately
1: definitely one of our absolute heroes Um, i'm pretty sure that wherever you are in the uk the queues for for kfc and mcdonald's when they opened this week was was phenomenal so george on behalf of my terrible diet thank you for going back to work because it saved me for the last week um i think i echo all of your thoughts for me i think i realized that football is just such a social interaction i've missed Terribly the people who I sit with around turf and like you say that match day routine and and for me it's been my dad. My dad's over 70 um, and he was sent a letter in the first week of lockdown from the government to say that he had to shield. He was in a vulnerable category. So I haven't seen my dad for 14 weeks and you know the football is a big part of that. Um, He lives about 30 miles away from me. So, yeah, I've not been able to see him until this this weekend has just passed and the the travel restrictions have gone. So, yeah, I I imagine that that's been a really difficult bit. Um, And, Tom, going back to you, I think one of the things that that really helped with that in the early stages of of lockdown and what was recognised by the club in terms of such an important part it played in the community with some of the efforts that the club went to to get in touch with vulnerable fans um, if you remember rightly that there was quite a lot of negative press at the outset with some politicians getting on footballers' backs and saying that they should be donating salaries and, and cutting salaries and things like that but the did quite a lot, didn't they, in the early stages to keep the the community involved. Can you talk us through some of the few things that they were doing.
2: Yeah, I think uh, one that leaps out at me straight away is the, the food banks, and um, that's something that uh, I try and I try and bring some tins, yeah, you know, for the bins outside the ground for every home game. And uh, and obviously, with that suddenly disappearing, there's a big hole to fill. And uh, I know the players donated a lot of money towards that, and the club were really good about proactively pushing donations for that as well. It's really encouraging to see. They've used the turf for coronavirus testing. Again, that's something that they don't have to do. Uh, being proactive, helping the community, taking a bit of the pressure off the NHS. And then, like you say, the phone calls as well. Uh, it, it must be something that's um, that's really nice for people who perhaps like you say a lot of the social life revolve around the football. Um, you know, a lot of it can just drop off um, if you don't have that ninety minutes on the Saturday and that time around the game. So to know that someone that the club have, have thought about you and are reaching back out to you, and and obviously not just people at the club but the players, it must have been uh, it must have been a, a real boost. Uh, I think that a lot of the work that the club's done in terms of kind of keeping that match day feel, the stuff they've had on the socials when they've been playing by those full ninety minute games, uh, I speaking obviously as as I say, someone who doesn't live in Burnley, I have felt really connected to the club and closer to the club than i perhaps expected to feel during this 12 weeks and uh, I think yeah, that the social team the team off the pitch at Burnley should really be commended for all the work they've done I think they have done a really good job
1: yeah absolutely I mean it's probably unsurprising to those of us who who followed the club over the years it's you know, it, it, you see all of the good messages and I'm sure a lot of the clubs are the same, but Burnley genuinely is a community town and we've been doing things like this for, for a long time and, and really looking after our own. Um, Richard, I just want to come to you next because um, Tom's just reminded me then of one of the things that the club did to keep everybody connected during lockdown and I know you were particularly a big fan of this was the, um, the match history and replaying old classic matches and back to the fixtures and things like that. That really did help keep us... Going wasn't
3: it, with our football fix. Yeah, like Tom was saying, I think the club's been uh, really uh, proactive on social media, and I think this time for me of having kind of like no football at all is really—it's been a real reflection of looking back on what we've achieved, especially under this Sean Dyche era. Because normally, even when it's pre-season, you get preoccupied with transfers. You know, who are we going to sign? Who are we not going to sign? So I think this period has just been a really good. Opportunity to take stock, look back on previous games, and actually think, you know what, you know, we should be really proud of everything that we've achieved over these last, you know, seven eight years. So, under um, you know, some of the highlights for me was uh, going back, what, even watching that Crystal Palace um, away game, our first win um, in the Premier League um, away from home that, that season, and then actually just just last week, because uh, this is how sad I am, um, I actually went back and watched the, the season review. Uh, for when we for when we come seventh and and then last season even though we struggled, um, you know and just like I said, re- really enjoyable memories. Um, but yeah, just let up some more of them can continue. And what was quite special for me over this time, you know, wasn't I wasn't born at the time, but family members talk about it. Is the is the late orient game and and obviously e- even people who was born after that game know the magnitude of it. So you know, to go back and watch that full game and then just see the sheer emotion and kind of that was a turning point for the club that that, that late and late Army game happened and then slowly and steadily we've built up everything we are and, you know, looking at us now, we're in a really strong uh, position to hopefully come in the, come in the top half of the, of the Premier League again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been a time for reflection for me as well. I think I've, I've, had, a, I've had a funny relationship actually with football since we started. I think, as I said in, in my intro, clearly there's been other things going on and football went from being that week when, if you remember, there was uh, the, 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 the FA women in R as to whether or not they were going to suspend the leagues or not and then there was this, a spate of loads of, of um, players who, who tested positive and... Um, and actually, the Arsenal awesome manager as well got tested positive as well. And then, it you know, at the time, we were all absolutely distraught. But then very quickly, football kind of fell down to the bottom of the priority list when I think we all realised just how serious this was. Um, I've got to say, I have enjoyed the football. Uh, sorry, I've enjoyed the break from football in that I realised in this lockdown period just how all-encompassing it's been in my life. And that's made me realise just how much I love football football if that makes sense it's like I've enjoyed the break but I think because I just get so wrapped up in it during the season and I live and breathe it and I'm always thinking about it it made me realize just a massive what a massive part of my life it is so yeah it's been it's been a nice break but I am definitely itching to get back um George let's let's move on then because let's have a look at where we got to because of course as we were in lockdown and and plans were being put in place to get the country going again and to start making plans to ease in the lockdown restrictions in the UK the Premier League launched what was project restart was how they were going to get if they could the remaining 90 games played to the end of the season now we had so many options play don't play play at neutral venues points per game ratio if you can if I can put you back into the mindset before a decision was made, George. What did you feel about, let's start with voiding the season. So let's say two options, voiding the season completely or voiding it and issuing places on points per game. What were your views on those a few weeks ago?
4: Yeah, it's really weird looking back and thinking uh, what I thought back then because now all of a sudden we're, we're, what, two days away from the Premier League restarting And yet it only feels like a month ago that I was fully in favour of just completely voiding the season, uh, stopping the season, doing it on a points-per-game basis. I just thought that was the most sensible option. You you know, there's far bigger things in the world at the moment than football. If it's not going to be safe, we had all them initial uh, tests. Uh, It seemed like the numbers of cases were rising and rising. I just thought, you know what, football needs to be on the back burner for now. Let's just scrap this season. It's not going to be the same either way with, with, without fans anyway. So let's do it on a points-per-game basis. I, I think maybe half of that is the fact that we're in 10th, maybe. you know we've, we've not got much to play for. Yeah, OK, we could go on a run and finish higher up the league, but there's no worst-case scenario for us. So on a points-per-game, I think on all the different calculations, we were going to come 10th. So I think that maybe that helped me get that mindset. But now all of a sudden, we're getting back to the season. And I, it seems like it's come out of nowhere at the time. But if you actually look, look at the French league, the French top league, they avoided their season almost straight away as all these talks were beginning. And you've got to say, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, they're looking a bit silly right now. The integrity of their leagues, you know, which was already in doubt, let's be honest, it's looking a bit shaky as the Bundesliga has come back. The Premier League's returning this week. La Liga returned last week. Now everyone's sort of looking at the French league as the anomaly whereas we're all getting back to, getting back to you know the new normal. So I think really the Premier League have got to be credited because there was lots of people like me just making quick judgments saying let's scrap it now points per game but they did well to wait it out. Uh, they didn't they didn't rush any decisions. They realized this was a long-term process and now we're 2 days away from playing what we all hope and what we all think are going to be safe games behind closed doors. People are going to be able to watch, I think it's all of the fixtures on TV. And I think they've really got to be credited because they've done a a fantastic job of just waiting it out. And now we're going to get football back in its sort of new form. So, yeah, I've completely changed my mind from the beginning. And I'm all for the restart now, as long as it's safe, which it seems to be.
1: Yeah, that is an absolutely hilarious point, is that, George, actually, and this is something that I definitely, definitely thought during lockdown. I was very aware of how much I didn't care about whether it was voided or whether we found a way to play it, basically because we we were going to finish around 10th, we were safe, and I was, I was starting to get very aware of how much I would, how much more I would care if I was in Villa's position or West Ham's position or Watford's position, for example. It definitely, definitely made a big difference. Um... Tom, I think the way I would got with this is, I for me, I I completely ruled out the points per game um, system. And to me, it felt like the only fair way that we could get the Premier League going was either void it completely and the season is just scrapped. As in, you know, you know we all start again last season as if it was, sorry, next season, as we did at the beginning of this season. Or we find a way to play it through to the end. Um I just could I think for me it had to be one or the other. I was absolutely certain that's where I'd got to. Um I just couldn't see a how a points per game system, so you could award promotion relegation. And I'll tell you what else there was as well that was talked about at one point. This idea of um West Brom and Leeds come up from the championship, so we have and then we have five relegated next season and things like that. To me, I it was always void. And scrap it or play it out to natural conclusion. Did you ever feel differently?
2: God, it's stressful enough. I mean, three teams relegated, and I don't think I could be dealing with five next season. Um, yeah. Now I was. Um, well, I mean, it's been hard to keep track, hasn't it? Like George said, it's all changed so quickly. You know, it seemed like a month ago that the only possibility was to avoid it all, and uh, I think. Points per game, I can I can see the argument behind it because if, if it's going to cost clubs m- money to finish the season, or if it's not safe to finish it, perhaps it's a slightly more satisfying conclusion than just voiding the whole thing. You've seen in the very lowest uh, non league tiers, I know their seasons were just voided, and there's there's some teams who were like in top of the league by 20 points, you've had it voided. And uh, it's not really fair on them. But then equally, you've seen in League One uh, last week, they they went for the PPG. Tramir have been relegated by 0.04 of a point or something crazy like that. You've got the problem in the Conference North at the minute where they're deciding at the minute they're only going to promote one team. You've got York City who've been top for the last three months. And as it stands, Kings Lynn are going to get the promotion place because they've got two games in hand and their PPG takes them just above York. So things like that, it's... uh, it's hard to see how you could have a satisfying conclusion without at least making the attempt to play out on the pitch. And I think with the money that's in the Premier League, the increased scrutiny that's on the Premier League, I think uh, it would have taken a really impossible situation. It would have been a situation where we were in lockdown for months and months, and there was just no feasibility of playing the games to to have got to a point where you were going to do PPG. And I think a big problem with doing that in the Premier League as well would have been the fact that liverpool are so far clear i mentioned then about some some teams in uh, in the northern premier league and, and, and uh, divisions like that were, were far ahead at the top i think if you'd avoided that from from liverpool that it would have been really really unfair um given that they're so close to it so i think from that point of view as well you had if it, if it was a situation where perhaps we were halfway through the season and it was a bit more evenly balanced then you you perhaps wouldn't there wouldn't be as much to lose out on for teams who are near the top of the league. But um to avoid it and even for a team like Sheffield United who's got a chance of being in Europe for the first time ever, you know, that that would have been a kick in the teeth for them. West Brom and Leeds as well, you've got an inevitable legal challenge if you're denying them the chance to, to pick up the £100 million pound check next season. I think the only teams that were really seriously talking about avoiding it were teams like West Ham and, and Norwich who are basically just saying that because they don't want to get relegated at the end of the day. So yeah, I think um there's no ideal solution because, as I'm sure we'll talk in a bit more detail about later on, I don't think that um, even playing the games in in the manner in which we're going to have to play them is an ideal solution. But I think, uh, given that we weren't going to get a great finish to this season, playing the games out behind closed doors is the best of the options that we could have had. So I'm glad that we have been able to settle on that in the end.
1: Yeah so it's 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 definitely been a factor I think that Liverpool was so close to getting this historic Premier League win. Um and I d do, I don't mean to suggest that this has all been about Liverpool, of course it's not, but I've often thought during some of the really heavy debates where they were discussing, you know, all of these points per games and five up, three, you know, three up, five down, whatever it was that they were gonna do, I found myself saying so many times, Do you know what? If the Premier League title was really close, or let's say it was City who were miles ahead and they were reigning champions or something like that, I genuinely felt that it wouldn't be as um, I, I guess, emotive, a debate. People wouldn't have cared as much. It definitely felt like the, the Liverpool factor definitely pushed people towards wanting to get us up and running. Um, I, I I completely agree with you, Tom. I, I just, for me, there were so many um, just variables and, and so many teams that could be really hard done by by um, just trying to award points on this points per game and things like this. It just felt to me that it had to be either void or, or played out. It was It was very, uh, it's been very difficult. And like, like uh, top, uh, George said earlier, sorry, they've done well to get to this stage. Um, Richard, with that in mind, are you happy with what we've ended up with? So, of course, we're starting, we're back. And, and it's pretty much business as usual, except for no fans in the stadium. Are you, are you happy with that result in the end?
3: Like you were saying there, you know, we just had a conversation between yourself, George, and Tom. And, all the different or or what it could have been with points we game void and, and I think each of those scenarios there's gonna be people who are pro and people who are against it because of how it is. So for me, I think, you know, you've got people slag off, you know, the Premier League, etc., you know, for what it is, but you've got to give a lot of credit. I'm sure a lot of time and a lot of effort has been put on to um you know, to get the games going and if it wasn't if the players and the managers didn't feel it was going to be safe, then they wouldn't go and play in it. That's my view on it. So I think this is hundred percent the furthest way to do it. It's you know it's not an ideal way. Obviously, you know we'd love to be in the stadium, but I think that's going to be some way off until we get that. Um, yeah. So yeah, for me, it's hundred percent the fair way to do it. You're, you're going to get a you know a clear winner at the end of the season, which is going to be Liverpool anyway. Um, but they'll almost a bit more of a merit, now you'll get your, your clear relegation. It's going to be interesting um, how it will affect the home and away performance. I think i seen a stat the other day where it's something like only 20% of teams have actually won at home played in the Bundesliga, compared to 40% when there was actually crowd. So I actually think this may um, benefit the away teams
1: the home mm-hmm. teams.
3: I know it's something that will affect us not playing at turf more, but then alternatively, going away to City, will it help us with no fans? Yeah. So I think that's going to be a really um, interesting um, aspect of it to see how it how it does make a difference. And one thing that um, I was against at first was the crowd noise. Um, yeah. But I'm really into my rugby league and I was watching the NRL down in Australia and they had the fan noise and I thought it worked. And then the Bundesliga has implemented it over the last couple of weekends. And for me, it definitely makes it a better. I thought it was going to be cringy, but um, for me, if you can have that crowd noise still coming through the telly, um, I think it'll add more atmosphere to the game. It, and just the last point I'll make it it's going to be interesting to actually see what the, what the tempo is like. Um, yeah. From watching the first weekend of the Bundesliga, it was quite slow. Then I watched the Leverkusen and Schalke, uh, the second half of that, where, where the teams had, uh, both had something to play for, and the, and the intensity was really good and it was a really good game you wouldn't have thought it was any different to any any normal game so I think it might be a little bit slow to get off and running maybe due to players getting used to it the fitness etc but I think as it goes on and the players get used to it I think it'll just become the norm
1: Yeah I think that's that's a good point Richard and Dash yourself has come out and said that there's going to be some there's going to be some freaky results, isn't there, in the first couple of, uh, I say a couple of weeks, if the games are that thick and fast, the first week, which is probably about three weeks worth of games, um, there's definitely going to be some strange results, I'm certainly not as as worried about going to the Etihad, as I usually am, um, but then, you know, as Richard quite rightly said, the home advantage can be massive, and I wonder how, um, George, this is going to affect the relegation-threatened sides, now, <laughs> I think for the first time in, God, as long as I can remember, possibly even the first time in the Premier League, to me, it's going to be the relegation-threatened sides and the teams like the six-pointers down at the bottom that are going to be the games that are going to get people interested. And I say this with, without being disrespectful to Liverpool, but nobody really cares about Liverpool because they've won the league. It's like, Liverpool fans, yes, of course it's going to be their moment to get crowned champions, but for the rest of the football fans across the country, it's very, yeah, meh, Liverpool have won the league, let's just get that over and done with. I don't think there's a massive amount of excitement around the top four places and the top six places, mainly because the the remaining top, you know, the usual top six sides have been pretty dull this year. There's been quite a a lot of quite boring football played from them. So there isn't the same level of excitement to the top four. And, you know, we we know ourselves, nobody likes us, but are people really going to get that excited about the race for seventh or possibly eighth place, depending on on City's appeal. You know, when it's the likes of Wolves or Sheffield United or Burnley who are trying to get a Europa place, people aren't going to get that interested. So for me, George, it's going to be the relegating threatened sides that that's going to spark the interest in these televised games. And bearing in mind everything that Rich has just said, how could you not know, do you think that these teams are going to be able to get themselves up for this relegation challenge after number one this break and number two with no their own fans not behind them?
4: Yeah, for sure. I I completely agree. It's going to be the most exciting games to watch, for sure. I mean, you know, Liverpool, the title's theirs already. Let's be honest, no one really cares uh, until they they actually pick it up. Uh, The only thing with the fourth place is, you know, if Sheffield United mount a charge, then that'll be, you know, a nice little story if they can get Champions League football. I mean, wow, that'd be amazing. But let's be honest, the story is all in the relegation battle. And and the thing I didn't realise until... And this is a good thing. The thing I didn't realise until today when I was looking at the table is I, I'd not been even taking no, notes of the relegation battle at all. We have been so comfortable this season. And I think it's probably, apart from the seventh season, it's the only season in the Prem where I've never actually... You, you, you don't have to keep up with the relegation battle because it's just not of interest anymore. But looking at the table, some of the teams that can go down, there's some big teams that, you know, it's a big story if they go down. You West Ham. I mean, I saw a stat today. They spent something like three hundred million in the last two two and a half years. Watford, again, a team that you'd think after a couple of years of yo-yoing, they're sort of an established Premier League team now. Bournemouth, if they went down, I mean, it's probably bigger news for us than most football fans because of the Eddie Howe link. But that, you know, that's a big story. And there was, there was, um, I saw they're the team with the high, the highest percentage of their revenue comes from the broadcasting from the Premier League. So I know they've got a rich owner and everything, but it won't be good news for them if they do get relegated and lose that massive money in the TV deals. So there's real interest at the bottom and it's so tight as well. I mean, you've got Aston Villa on 25 points with a game in hand. So if they win, they get out of the relegation zone. Obviously Norwich, we'll talk about Norwich, they're practically down with a a tough fixture list. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the relegation battle. And I think with all the the, the games being um, streamed on TV one way or the other, it'll make for a really interesting end to the season.
1: Yeah, definitely. I did wonder how they were going to do this broadcasting deal because, obviously, usually there's quite a lot of money involved. Well, there's quite a lot of money. Is that the understatement of the year? Um, there's there's obviously a lot of money involved in the Premier League and, and those broadcasters who have Premier League rights are usually very, very savvy and very strict with what they will and won't allow t- to be shared. Um, I think, um, Tom, one of the things that worried us halfway through the season is do you remember about halfway through lockdown when out of nowhere Mike Garlic came out and said oh, that Burnley were gonna lose fifty million in revenue if the season didn't finish? I don't know about you, but my heart just fell to the floor. That was horrendous.
2: I think it was sort of it was reported in a slightly mischievous way because uh, I think I think what he said was if there's no football until August or something, then we'll have a fifty million, you know, black hole in the finances which is true for every club. And I think in terms of the clubs who are best placed to absorb you know, that, that loss, I think we must be one of the teams who's got the most cash in the bank, as it were. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk of perhaps they'll relax or even suspend the FFP regulations just for this season um, so that clubs' owners can cover the costs of, uh, of what they'll be missing with the coronavirus a bit. But I think every club's acknowledging that this summer the transfer market isn't going to be what it has been in in recent years um money united have said they're going to lose they've already lost about 30 million pounds i think and it's and it's only going to go up um i don't think we'll i think we'll have to pay a certain amount of money back to sky is my understanding because the the product that they'll be getting is not quite what they paid for um but i think in terms of that that revenue you know we we run a tight ship anyway. we're, we're making a profit every year um and the fact that we don't rely that much on match day income as well is a bit of a, of a boost so like obviously manchester united with the 76,000 sellout crowd every week loads of um corporate uh, money coming in and that kind of thing you know we we sell out most of the stadium every week but the sort of 20,000 every other week is uh, is not as big a proportion of our of our income as it is for other clubs so from that sense really, as long as the T V money doesn't take too much of a hit, I think financially we're in a good position and uh, probably not something that the board foresaw, but obviously there's been a lot of talk in recent years as is as the, the amount of money we have held back and that, that we haven't necessarily reinvested on the pitch, but um, you know, the, there's always the possibility that a rainy day might might come in some form or other and, and at the minute I think it's it's looking like it's probably quite pretty management overall from the board. I think in terms of <laughs> the 91 football league clubs will come out of this as one of the best players definitely
1: i'm sorry i've been trying my best to hold my laughing all the way through that just the fact that barely been holding back monies for a rainy day and it's like i could just imagine my goal because like, of a global pandemic like see lads i told you i told you that that rainy day money had come in handy uh, i know i shouldn't jest about these things but it's just the way that you deadpan that. then was, was very amusing um and just keep keeping on that thread about uh, certainly about income and things like that um we don't often like to give them airtime unless we are taking the mickey but i did have some sympathy this week only a very small amount ahead had for our uh, neighbors down the road of course the headlines were being grabbed that um blackman rovers are not offered oh god it feels dirty saying that um but this is a family-friendly show and i can't give them their full title um, they they aren't able to offer any refunds whatsoever. And I've had so many messages and tweets from, from non-Burnley fans who sent me that thing just thinking that I would find it hilarious. But actually, I did the, I did the maths very quickly in my head and championship ticket prices are actually really expensive because they don't have the cap that the Premier League brought in. Um, and if you work out, I think Blackburn last se- this season sold around 7,000 season tickets. And if you sort of, Average that out between all tiers of tickets and all levels from juniors right there up to, to um all the discretion uh, sorry the the discounted tickets as well, if you apply just an average twenty five pound a ticket with their four remaining games left, that meant they would have to find seven hundred thousand pounds just to refund season ticket holders for their remaining four games and you look at championship clubs now and you think well. You know, they've got the bad press from it, but I'm not sure that many championship clubs would have that amount of cash around to be able to to refund fans. And I know it's hard because the whole country's struggling under this virus, people have lost their jobs. Um, of course they are, but you know, it's it's it, it's difficult. It just goes to show how important it is that a football club is well managed because it highlights more than anything that that clubs are, are basically running on overdrafts. They don't have money and something like this happens, and they can't deal with it. Um Richard, very quickly before we come on to uh, what I do want to talk to you about. Did you did you get a chance to see the new um, chief execs interview, Neil Hart, this week that went up on the website? I think that's the first time we've heard from him since he got, because I think he got brought in, didn't he, like a week before we went into lockdown. Um, and he, he gave quite a decent interview about what good shape we were in and what we want to do for the next few years. Did you have a chance to look at that? Um, yeah,
3: I, I did have a look over it. and It comes across across quite impressive to me i think he's obviously done great stuff uh, with the, with yeah, the community tab, you know with the community side of it, it seemed uh you know a sensible decision to move him across um, you know into this role and i think he was in i think he was said you know obviously we've got to be realistic which we hear before but he also said that um you know we're you know we're looking to be active in the transfer window um, which yeah which was definitely a positive i think you know, Tom really summed that up really well to me about that interview uh, that Mike Garland did. When you read the interview properly, you you just a sensible article. That obviously some, you know, national uh, rags got hold of, sensationalised sens- it, um, and made it sound just way worse than it was. And there's going to be so many teams who, for me, are going to come out worse than this. You know, we're not going to come out and be able to spend, you know, lots of money on on players we've not been able to do that in the past but I still think we're going to be in a good position I don't expect us to be in a position where we're going to have to sell um, loads of players so yeah really really positive from Neil I thought and I think he's going to look to be a good appointment his interview was really positive about where the club are at the moment and then what, what we can achieve and then you know moving into next season.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, George, just picking up on what Richard just said there, he, he's talking about how we are looking to be active in the, in the transfer market. We've already triggered an extension on Robbie Brady's contract, which I think was the right thing to do. We'll, we'll look at that later on, maybe next week, when we start to look at, at how the season finishes and plans for the summer. But surely this is going to have a huge impact on summer business or well, actually do you think it will do you think it'll just be business
4: as usual i think it's one of them where we we don't we don't know we don't know what's going to happen we we didn't know what was going to happen with coronavirus we don't know what's going to happen with this the the thing that i was sort of worried most about but you know there's not been any rumours i mean I'd, I'd take of that what you will but the dwight mcneil situation I, before all this happened i'd have expected us to have finished the season and probably sold him this summer you know he's had a good one and a half years with us and then when this sort of started to come about, and you have all the oh we're losing this fifty million money, and I'm thinking oh no we're gonna we're gonna be losing Dwight in the transfer window on um you know for quite a, a cut down price other than what we could have got in a normal situation, but you just don't know. I've I've seen the other day that they're at least moving the summer transfer window, I believe to to October uh, provisionally, and the the they've also there's been rulings done by FIFA, I think who've said, you know, seasons can start now before transfer windows have ended. And, you know, there's all these implications to think about. I think we'll definitely be one of the sides that sort of keeps our powder dry, definitely. I mean, as per usual, but even more so, you'd expect, you know, we won't have that much cash to splash around now. Uh, I'm really glad we got Brownhill in in January because that's a position that would have been needed. And we've got him on a, a really good deal before all this popped up. Uh, and I think it will be just interesting to see what we do with contracts. Like if, if we let Hendrick and Bardsley, et cetera, go, then we'll have to replace them. But yeah, yeah, I don't expect us to be spending much in the transfer window whenever it happens. We just need to make sure we've got a squad to stay up because next year yeah. is going to be an anomaly year and an, and an anomalous transfer window as well.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think whilst, well, I, I do like Hendrick and I think as a utility player he's great, but I completely understand his frustration. He's never been able to cement his place in the side. He's never been able to get himself on board. So many fans hate him, which I just don't understand. But, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's views it is their own. Um, but I think securing some of those players now as squad players is really important. I would just like to give a very quick shout out right now to Dwight, McNeil, Dwight McNeil's dad Who's been in the press this week is basically saying that Dwight McNeil needs to not get his head turned by these big clubs and stay where he is at Burnley. And I'm just like, bravo, that man. Can we just get him like the freedom of Burnley, please? That would be great. Um, Richard, sorry, I did got sidetracked then talking about money and and, and going to, to to George to get that. But one thing I did want to speak to you about, which is one thing I'm finding really interesting. This is all really great, really positive, fantastic. We're going back to Premier League, we're gonna finish the season, integrity the competition, tick, all done. There is a Rather obvious flaw in the plan. What happens if first game Watford win? No, let's say not. Let's not use Watford as an example. Let's use Villa. So let's say Villa win their first game. So they they pull themselves out at relegation places, and they are it's theirs to lose essentially. And they can you know they're out of the bottom three, and they can go on. After that first game, Jack Grealish gets tested positive for coronavirus. And either gets poorly or has come into contact with people, and some of their team have to go into quarantine or self isolation and can't play two of the games, which they both lose and get themselves back in. That is just one example. What are we going to do if the pandemic takes a hold of the players?
3: It's a really difficult question, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of bit a, a little bit out of my remit with the football side of it, but. The only thing I can think of is it depends what stance you're taking it. Do you look at it and go have the have the Premier League kind of agreed with the clubs that listen, if you have a player and he's got to self isolate for two and he misses two games then that's so be it. It's only the same as getting getting an ACL injury or or is there kinda of some something put in place where there's say, you know, go back to Villa where there's multiple players who have to self isolate and staff and their games are postponed until a later date, and then obviously that brings into the different side of it about teams finishing at the same time, uh, you know, you know, for all sorts of different reasons based on how, how fair it is. So, yeah, to, to answer your question, I never really thought about that. To be honest, the question comes a bit of a, a shock to me. Um,
1: <laughs> Sorry. To me,
3: the only to me. Again, this is my view. People probably agree with it. You know, yeah, I'll stick with my initial view and just say that you know what, injuries happen throughout the season. Um, yeah. And and it's one of them. It, it's kind of it's tough. And but do you know what, what? I'll say about all these teams at the bottom, whinging about coming back again. They shouldn't have been so crap for over three <laughs> for over three quarters of a season. And and would anyone to been worrying about it, wouldn't they? So you've got all these Villa fans going on about it should be void and everything. But at the end of the day, oh, they've, really? they've spent hundred million and they're still doing rubbish. <laughs> so it's their <fair laughs> fault in it at the end of the day for being so poor.
1: That may very well be my favourite all time line from a and Never podcast. It's that uh, they shouldn't have been so crap, should they? That is absolutely brilliant. Listen, Rich, I'm sorry I did throw that curveball at you then because it was when I, when uh, we were talking about that, it, it just entered my head and I was starting to think, oh, hang on a minute, what happens here? Um, for what it's worth, I asked it you because I don't know the answer either. And then I think uh, way smarter people than, than me also wouldn't know what the answer is here. But it's just, I think what you said then was actually probably one of the best answers that i could think of for this in that well actually if somebody does catch this and has to self-isolate for seven days they miss two maybe three games what is the difference between that and pulling a hamstring or going over on their ankle or pulling a groin or something like that you are right they are um what's the word um part and parcel of the game isn't it these injuries and I know it's different and I know these are special circumstances and I know there is a greater concern with this virus in terms of people's health um but from a football integrity perspective then yeah I think that's a really good point and it's not one that I've thought of um what about um Rich, uh, not Richard Tom George Do you know what? I've got your three names on the screen and I just keep forgetting which order I've done them in Tom on the flip side of that, talking about health, where do you stand on players who refuse to play? There are some players who have refused to come back to training or have refused to play in these early stages, particularly while the the UK death toll was still quite high. Where, where do you stand with that?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with any of our players who felt that it wasn't safe for them to return because at the end of the day, you don't know what individual, people's individual circumstances are. Me, myself, I I work for the NHS, so I've been at work um, since this started. But we've got people in our office who um, either they're shielding or the partners are shielding, they're working from home. It's down to your personal circumstances at the end of the day. If if we've got players who live with elderly relatives, if they've got young children, I think Troy Deeney was the example in the press because his young son has got breathing difficulties. If he doesn't feel that it's a safe environment for him to go and play, then you can't argue with that for me. But having said that, I do think that um, the example from the Bundesliga about how sort of tightly controlled it's all been, the fact that they're getting so much testing, I think it's probably a safer environment than your average your average work environment, to be honest. And I think um, it, it's likely that even if they don't come back for the first week or two, I think if it runs successfully and it looks like it will, and if it's anything like the, the German and, uh, and to a lesser extent, the Spanish models that we've seen already, it looks like it will go off without, without a hitch. And I think that will persuade players to come back, even if if, if they do stay away for the first couple of weeks. Um, I think one kind of maybe slightly more interesting, um, intriguing scenario maybe is um, players who are coming to an end of the contract. Um, if we're going to see any of them sort of sit out or, or or perhaps not risk an injury. I know Lyle Taylor at Charlton isn't, uh, isn't playing for that reason, so he's going to miss the, the run-in. Uh, I can't see Bill Barsley being the type of player to do that. But I do wonder if maybe if Jeff Hendricks already got a move sorted, I wonder if we'd see him perhaps, you know, especially with the fact that, as we've said already, we haven't got a great deal to play for, perhaps an outside chance of, of Europe. But other than that, we haven't got a lot to play for. So I wonder if Hendrick would maybe think, well, I've got X, Y, Z offers on the table. <coughs> Um you know, perhaps i'll I'll sit these last nine games out. they're not it's not as if we're gonna get relegated as a, as a result. I'd be interesting to see what the fan reaction to that would be. I think that would probably be wildly different to him saying that he wasn't gonna play because he was worried about uh, you know the health implications of catching the virus. And uh, I'd also love to see him have that conversation with Sean Dyche.
1: Oh God, can you? Oh, you say that. I'm not entirely sure that he would be. Would he be? How would John I don't know how Dyche would, would react. He's quite a family man, and he's quite level headed. His Dyche, isn't he? I think he's quite. He's quite open about how football isn't everything. Bless him. Um, okay, let's move away from what project restart, and actually, let's have a look at restarting the league. Um, George, we actually start playing again on Monday, so we are building up to um, City away on Monday, so we're one of the last teams to play, um, actually are we? I'm not really sure we are, maybe we start on Monday, I can't remember, I haven't even looked at the fixtures properly yet, but we are. We start playing on Monday, and for the first time in as long as I can remember, Daesh has got a
4: full squad to choose from. Yeah, it's quite quite a a positive for us. Maybe maybe the the whole lockdown situation and everything's actually helped us. Uh, It's been like an extended break for us. Um, Obviously, we've got a full squad available. Here's hoping. I mean, you know, there's rumours here and there, but people like Ashley Barnes who were before uh, were injured. Um, I was just listening to an interview with J-Rod the other day and he was saying that before, obviously, the whole corona situation came about, He was, I think he got injured in the Tottenham game and he required surgery or, you know, some sort of extended absence. And he says he's got that all sorted and he's fit and he's raring to go again, which, you know, is a real positive seeing as how he was coming into his own over the sort of Christmas spell. And at the start of the year, I mean, that United game, that's at the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, So I think it'd be really positive that we can have a full squad back. Goodness knows what to expect. How they'll play. Obviously, the intensity we've mentioned. But you know, you can't go wrong from a, a start where you've got no, where you've got every player fit. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of team he puts out. You know, the striker situation that's been prevalent this this uh, this season. And then also how much he uses them extra subs and if he uses them at all.
1: Yeah, I've got to say, um, Tom, I did find this absolutely hilarious when um, it was announced that the subs would be, I think you could have increased, you put nine on the bench instead of seven and you can make five substitutions instead of three. Um, I I saw all (laughs) of the Twitter posts, Tom, where basically that was just Dietz shrugging his head going, do we think he's actually going to rotate these players or not?
2: Uh. I wouldn't imagine that he will. (laughs) I think it it might might play in our favour with the first game because I know Man City are playing on the Wednesday night, aren't they? And then again on the Monday, so they might rotate a few. But um, no, well, we haven't really got the squad to do it, have we? But even if we, even if we did, no, I I can't see him making more than one or two changes for each game, and I can't see,
1: yeah,
2: I can't see a sub before the eightieth minute.
1: No, I do think. it But then that said, though he he hasn't had to um, he hasn't had to play these games like this since our championship days, and you know he is going to have to think about the, the the health of these players. I mean, it's going to be a difficult one. But yeah, I, I think it'd be hilarious if uh, if Dyche starts making substitutions, then I know we're definitely in a weird, weird new world. Um, Richard, I think the biggest. I, I think as Tom just said, then the so many. Um, positions throughout the team will stay as they are because we haven't really got the players to um, rotate them around. I guess the players on the wing, so you've got Brady and uh, McNeil on the left and Goodmunson and Lennon on the right, uh, they probably get swapped around, I would have thought. But assuming that Woody is does make it, we know that there's some rumours around his fitness, You've got four strikers suddenly to choose from. Richard, put you on the spot. You're Sean Dyche. Who do you start on Monday against City?
3: In terms of the strikers or the team overall? No,
1: yeah, the strikers. The, 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 the four strikers.
3: Um, I seem to. I thought before we did this podcast that Wood, can, you know, just definitely wasn't fit, but um, kind of. I'm not, I'm not sure now. So I still. I think Rodriguez for me at the moment. Um, definitely, definitely starts and. Like I said, Vidra scored in that in the game against Preston, that friendly, and he seemed, you know, and there is fitness doubts over Wood, so I'd go with Rodriguez and Vidra. If Wood is fully fit, I probably would go for Wood and Rodriguez, just for the fact that I don't think we're going to get well. We're definitely not going to get a lot of ball against City, so I think Wood probably would have been a better player to have maybe to hit the balls into the you know up to him, so he so we can hold them up and play it off, etc. But yeah, I think so. That's, well, so I've kind of contradicted myself, really. So I think if Wood is fully fit, I'd go with Wood and, and Jay. But I think if Wood's not quite right, which the reports seem to point in that way, um, then I would go for Jay and Vidra. But for me, really enjoyed watching Vidra um, in that spell. I thought, obviously, the goal at Southampton, but the home game he had against Bournemouth. Um, and obviously, that was a game where we did have an, a lot of attacking pressure on Bournemouth, especially in the second half. And it was really nice to see the link-up play between Rodriguez and Vidra, two really good technical players up front. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great opportunity, hopefully, for Vidra to play a few games and hopefully hit the ground running again. Um, I know not, it's not a strike, but I hope we get to see um, Brown will get a good few minutes as well yeah. in in the uh, running to the end of the
1: season. Oh, I hope he does do some rotation. There are some players like that that I do want to see. Um, and actually, one thing I can't remember, I can't remember where we're at in the bardsley Lawton rotation. I can't remember which one was... Out of form, which one we were now saying this week should keep his place for the rest of the season. So that'll be an interesting one. Um, laying it out to all three of you: Is there? and I suspect the answer will be no. But is there anybody who's prepared to stake a claim for Ashley coming straight back into the squad now he's fit uh, into the team? Sorry, the starting lineup.
3: Again, a four team is injured.
1: No, it's, 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 all four of them are fit. This is what I've read: is that he's, he is literally Dutch has got zero. Um, okay. Injury worries.
3: Even Goodmanson? Huh? Even Goodmanson's fit? Yes. Okay. What a okay. <laughs> Yeah. Again. Listen, I
1: might be wrong, but I've I've read I've read quite a lot of reports today oh to God, say well, that.
3: To say I'll trust you, that. Natalie. I'll trust you. Um, <laughs> you what a start, Barnes. No.
4: <laughs> to move it on.
1: <laughs> George, would you?
4: I don't think it'd be. A, it's one of them players where we've. He's been so good for us for so many years. I, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if you know it gets to it gets to Monday. And we see Barnes and Rodriguez or Barnes and Wood starting. And just at the point, I feel like a lot of people have sort of written Barnes off for the moment. But I, I just have this sense that whenever he does play, he'll bag a couple of goals and start being our striker again. That's all I'm going to say. I have faith in him. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him next Monday. But for me, Rodriguez and Woods, the starting partnership for now. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: I think that's a fair point. And I, I don't think there's certainly no, no uh, writing off of Ashley Barnes here here by anybody. Um, I think one of the things that perhaps has been a fair assessment of it, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Tom, is that whilst Barnes has made some real improvements in his technical game, when you start watching Jay and uh, wood up front together it there is a there is a gulf Albeit it, it's it's smaller than it was but there is a, a gulf in in technical ability and it is it fair to say that we're, we're looking for a slightly better technical footballer now with our strikers
2: um i think he probably gives you sort of slightly different qualities to to both rodriguez and, and wood i think He's a bit more of a bully than Wood, although Wood's improved that a lot in the last uh, in the last year. I think he's he's much more kind of physically adept now. He's, he's better at holding off defenders, beating them up a little bit. But Barnes is more aggressive, he's more in your face, he's more needly. But and I think Barnes is technically, I think he's better than Wood. Um he's not as good of, of a finisher, but necessarily, he's not as much of a poacher. But I think he's got a you know spectacular twenty five yarder in him. We've not really seen that from Wood, he's more of a you know a penalty box striker. And Rodriguez, obviously, we know he can do that as well, the 25-yarders, the technique, but he's not as physically imposing as Barnes. So I think you've got a good blend of, of both their abilities there in, in Barnes. I've, I think he's quite underrated, technically, myself. I don't think he's uh, hes a million miles off Rodriguez. And he's, for me, he's better than Woods. So, uh, he's, yeah, he's a nice option to have back. And I think perhaps as well with the fact that he's played off this season, not fit. I think perhaps we've maybe we've took him down a peg or two in our minds because of that. But I think we see him. Yeah, he's, maybe. He's, He'll, uh, yeah. he'll be the player we, uh, we know and love again.
1: That's a, that is a really good point, is that, Tom. I think because he's been absent for so long this season, and obviously without have this breakdown as well, when it's that out of sight, out of mind thing, isn't it? And you think about Barnes, and you always think about the caricature of Ashley Barnes, the jumping up all elbows and legs flailing, and, and the guy who winds up the players. You, you see the comedy side of it, and I think we've forgotten just how much he has really improved technically and, and when he was really on form before he got his, his hernia was it I when um he was starting to display some really really attractive football um i i'm on the other side of the fence to you tom i think that wood is a better technical footballer than um bonds but hey that's fine that's absolutely fine i like balance that is what we like to bring to the podcast
0: um
1: I don't think we've got anything else to talk about. I'm just flicking through my notes. Uh, We've been through squad rotation. We've been through subs. We've been through who will play. Talked about Brownhill. Hopefully he gets some things. So I don't think, unless you guys have anything else that you want to bring to the table before we wrap this up. Look at this. Under an hour. I thought that tonight's podcast was going to go on for ages, but we've wrapped it up in under an hour. Um, does anybody have anything that they want to... Oh, George, you've come in there straight away. What, what do you want to add, George?
4: <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to bring up the, it, the... It's such a shame for Liverpool for how they're going to win the league. And I'm, look, I'm I'm, not even trying to hide my laughter. I find it so funny. You wait all this time and then this happens when you're going to win the league. I, I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to get excited for this as a Liverpool fan, would you? I mean you're going to win the Premier League but gosh this is the worst way they're going to have no parade no fans in the stadium I mean wow if, if I had the option of being them and you know forfeiting the title this year and taking it next year I'd, I'd for sure no be doing that. Yeah. no no you
1: would not well, maybe I wouldn't would but I'd say him I'd say <laughs> him head
4: definitely
0: yeah
4: anyway, I think they're gonna, they're gonna break the points record, you know, by a long way. Yeah, uh, but it's irrelevant. No, you know, it, there's no fans in the stadium. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to be. Well, again, I would want to be them, but. You wouldn't at this point,
1: (laughs) George. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna rein you in a little bit here. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's coming out. We're just just applauding us for getting this wrapped under an hour and doing an efficient job. And George comes in saying he would avoid the season rather than having the Premier League title. George, no. (laughs) Uh, But no, I I do see your point. It is. I, I do feel for them. Um, I think every single foot. I think every single Liverpool fan will still want it. I think. I would be very surprised if you had much less than 100% of fans voting to play out the season and get crown champions rather than void it. Um, yes, it's not going to be the the award that they wanted. And if anything, this past few months has taught us, it's just how important live fans are to sport, um, not just football, but across the world. Um and across all disciplines, it's it, that's that's what we live for—is live sport. And and I watch anything. God, I even watch third division ice hockey when I go skiing. You know, it's I watch anything live, me. Apart from cricket, I can't get into cricket. Um. So yeah, poor Liverpool. We're gonna we're gonna end the Burnley podcast with George completely slapping down um, Liverpool fans, which is hilarious. Um. I think that is all we have time for this week. So I'm going to wrap it up there, and we are going to. We're going to get some more podcasts out between now and the end of the season. I need to speak to Statman Dave and find out what our plans are for the preview show. Uh, One of the challenges in the next few weeks will be fixtures coming thick and fast and, you know... By the time we record a podcast, they'll potentially be out of date already. So I suspect we'll probably have to do two or three games at a time um, and see where we get to. Um, but in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, it's been very glad to be back. Um, I was a little bit rusty at the beginning. I think I'd forgotten how to record a podcast, but it's absolutely fantastic to be able to be bringing you Claret's news and debate once again. When we thought at one point we weren't going to be able to. Um, stay safe, everybody. Um, Keep those rules in mind. Don't break lockdown. Don't break social distancing. Let's keep this pandemic under control and let's get to the end of this and then let's look forward to the day that we can all meet again at Turf Moor. Thank you to my wonderful panelists, Richard, George, and Tom, who I have missed immensely. Um, Thank you to producer Matt for editing this together. I'm sure if you can find his his editing tools, bless him, he's had a knife break as well. Um, But my final thanks, as ever, go to you, the listener, for once again downloading and listening to this podcast your support is hugely appreciated and we would not be here without you i have been natalie bromley this has been the known another podcast until next time